You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. There are three things that this word testify comes into. Now, when we think of testify or testimony, we probably go into one of two places. Place number one is we think Kristen was just up here. Uh, she, uh, she was baptized last week. And before she gave a testimony, she told the story of God coming into her life and rescuing her from sin. That we think of as a testimony. The other way we think of a testimony is in a court of law. We think of somebody behind the stand next to the judge. Do you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I help you God? Yes, I do. And then they testify, they tell their story, which they are saying is 100% true. So there are three things that are testifying. There are three things that are bearing witness, that are standing behind something. And these are the three, if you'll throw them up. The water, the blood, and the spirit. Now, those words, if not explained, don't make a lot of sense. Most of us are like the spirit, the Holy Spirit got that. But the water and the blood. Let let me explain what this means. In fact, a better way to look at it would be flip it to uh, where the Spirit's. This is sort of a better way to look at it. The Holy Spirit is taking the stand. And next to God, he is going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because he is the truth. And what he is going to do in telling the truth is he is going to bring in evidence. Any good witness is backed up. They are corroborated by evidence. And the Holy Spirit is saying, evidence A, the water. Evidence B, the blood. And what does he mean by that? Well, evidence A is the water. And here's what we see. The water is referring to Jesus' baptism. This will appear behind me. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God. So now, the Holy Spirit. What is happening back there? Is it a chicken? Those chickens, man. They love Jesus on Sunday. Which is funny, because Sundays don't usually play out well for chickens. Anyway. So, what we have is the Holy Spirit is saying, evidence A, I was here for this, I saw this, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Holy Spirit in the book of John is saying, I was here, let me tell you what I saw, and what did he see? Verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, it's interesting that Jesus even got baptized. Evidence A is the baptism. Why? Because most people went to get baptized. In fact, all people went to get baptized for the repentance of their sin. So why would it not make sense for Jesus to get baptized? He hasn't sinned. But what does Jesus say when John confronts him with that? Jesus says, I am doing this. To fulfill all righteousness. I am doing this to be obedient to my Father. When the Holy Spirit stands on the stand. And he is telling his story. He is bearing witness to his story. He is saying evidence A. The water. The baptism of Christ. The obedience of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. Evidence A. Get him Chris. Evidence A. I'm just going to keep going. Y'all feel free to watch and giggle. I know you can hear me while you do other things. Evidence A, without a doubt, the perfect life of Christ. Evidence B, the blood. Hebrews chapter 9. 
When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. So what we're getting now, the Holy Spirit has laid down evidence, A, the perfect life and obedience of Jesus. Now we all get this tidbit of Old Testament theology. And, and, and we're taken all the way back to the days when if you were to have sinned for the forgiveness of your sin, something had to die. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. There could be no remission. So there was this in, entirely intricate, deep, sacrificial system where if you sinned, something else shed its blood because people recognize I've done something wrong. I owe a debt, but God has given me a way to place this debt on something else. And that something else would eventually point to Christ. And we see that now. Continue reading. Verse 12. He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Evidence B, the death of Christ. Thus, check out this word, securing, making sure and steadfast and eternal forever redemption. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer. In other words, if that old system sanctified for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through, here comes the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit. So Jesus, when he, gave, when he lived a perfect life, evidence A, the Holy Spirit came down and said, I'm seeing this. I'm testifying to it. I'm the witness. Here's my evidence. Well, when he gave his life on the cross, this is the only text in Scripture where we see the Holy Spirit's action in the death of Christ. And what do we read? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish? Perfect life, perfect death to God, to purify our consciences from dead works, to serve the living God. So the Holy Spirit says, this is my testimony. I stand as an eternal witness who has seen these eternal things. A perfect life lived and a perfect death given as payment. The question is, how can you and I today, May 5th, know that that makes this sure? And Jesus makes it pretty clear for us. John says, this isn't just my testimony. And so here's what we find in verse 10. How can we know? I want to read you all this excerpt. It's not going to be behind me. Nick, it was long. I I don't want you to have to do the whole thing. This little book is, uh, it's called a gospel primer. I didn't think about it ahead of time to have some freebies back there. I would highly recommend this as a little devotional book. Grab me afterward, uh, or or I'll just leave it up here on the podium. You can take a picture of it. I just want to read you one excerpt of it. And and this is what I think of when I think of this perfect uh, perfect life and perfect death. Feel free to close your eyes. The more absorbed I am in the gospel, the more grateful I become in the midst of my circumstances, whatever they may be. Viewing life's blessings as water in a drinking cup, I know that I could discontentedly focus on the half of the cup that seems empty. Or I could gratefully focus on the half that is full. Certainly, the latter approach is the better of the two. Yet, the gospel cultivates within me a richer gratitude than this. The gospel reminds me first that what I actually deserve from God is a full cup churning with the torments of his wrath. This is the cup that would be mine to drink if I were given what I I was deserved each day. 
with this understanding in mind, I see that to be handed a completely empty cup from God would be cause for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God towards me. But that God, in fact, has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this, without the slightest mix of wrath, leaves me dumbfounded with inexpressible joy. As for my specific earthly circumstances of plenty or want, I can see them always as infinite improvements on the hell that I deserve. You see, when we recognize what the problem is, it makes it a lot easier to see what the solution is. And that's exactly what John gives us so that we would know without a doubt that our walk with Christ is sure. So check this out. Verse 10 gives us the diagnosis of our problem. Verse 11 tells us what the cure is. Verse 12 says if you take the cure, here is the result. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. The Holy Spirit stands at the stand. Evidence A, a perfect life. Evidence B, a perfect death. And then looks at you and says, do you believe that you owe God nothing? Do you believe that the one who created you, created you in his image, created you and placed us initially in a perfect place which we rebelled from? Sub with Adam, sub with Eve, we all end up making the same decision. We all run after our own devices. We all run after our own affections. We all run after sin. Do you believe that you owe God nothing for that? Because the Holy Spirit says, there is this testimony. There is this story that I am telling. And this story does one of two things. It either becomes this, this writ of truth that you apply to yourself or you reject it. You either say, this testimony I agree with, and he writes it as a part of your soul. He gives us a new heart, a new DNA, and we begin walking in light of that new story. Or we don't, and we say, God, you've got this whole thing wrong. I've got it figured out. So that's the problem. Here's the solution, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So this life which is forever, God has given us through Christ. And if we trust in that, if we apply that to ourselves, here's what we see in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. There are only three ways that we can live life. We're created in God's image. So we can live way number one, I don't owe God anything. Now, most of us, especially if you're a parent, you get this. You've got a kid. Uh, oh my gosh, so many examples. I walk in last night. I, I don't even have to think of illustrations for depravity now that I have a bunch of kids. It's the best. Um, I finished sinning long ago. But having sin, ha having children, that's a joke. If you're taking me serious, that's not a real thing. Um, so I'm, I'm going up to do Bible story, right? Bible story last night. And as I get close to the door, I'm like, oh, those are not joyful sounds. Those are the opposite of joyful sounds. And I walk in, one kid's in the middle of the carpet. He's smiling. 
The other one is crying and red-faced. And the other one is facing the carpet. Just, ah! And I say, what I, you just shouldn't say. You should just move on. But I say, what happened? Well, that, uh, uh, what happened was apparently a very long story that needed to be witnessed by many and testified with great evidence by many on the stand of the court of daddy. And it just turns out that what happened is they were wrestling. One of my sons was wrestling with the other when my four-year-old daughter comes off the turnbuckle like Rey Mysterio Jr. and lands with both feet on the other one's head. And then decided, that worked out well, I'll do it again, and repeated it. So he turns on her, and it gets real bad, so they're just all jacked up. I don't remember why I told this story. Yes, I do. I told the story because the moment I walk in there, if I say, who's innocent, all of them are initially going to be like, and they're going to say, I'm innocent because that person sinned. That's not innocence. That's a quality. You both have just sinned a lot. That doesn't make you sinless. So when you live around a bunch of people like us who sin a lot, it is a very bad idea to say, I owe nothing because check out that guy. Nope, you've jumped off the turnbuckle to land on your brother's head just like everybody else has. You're just comforting yourself that you didn't do it this time. So we either say, God, I owe you nothing for creating me and my rebellion. Or we say, okay, I owe you something, but I will come up with the payment. I'll do some good things. I'll go to church. I'll serve. I'll give. I will come up with a payment. And here's why the Holy Spirit's testimony is so sure and so important. What is his testimony? Jesus lived a perfect life, the water. Jesus gave his life as a perfect death, the blood. That is being offered up to the judge God. Can you offer that? And when any of us stand on the stand, none of us can offer a perfect life. None of us can offer a perfect death. Because we actually deserve brokenness. And we actually deserve wrath. So the only other option is you owe something. And by the grace of God, it's going to be paid. And it's going to be paid not by you. You can't. Not by someone else in your life. They can't. It's going to be paid by the one who lived perfect and died perfect on your behalf. How does that sure thing Apply to us in a permanently steadfast way. Because if I respond to that good news. If I say you know what God I owe you something. And by the grace of God I hear the good news of Jesus' life and death. And I am asking that you apply that testimony to myself. If, if I say that and then tomorrow I go and sin. And the next week I go and sin. How can I know that that sure thing is a sure thing forever. And God is very good to us. And that's exactly what he gives us. So if you would, look in verse 13. The Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The reason it tells us to do that is because it's a big deal and it's easy for us to be deceived. John is writing this to a church that has been split. He's writing this to people who are not sure of their church. They're not sure of the people around them. And they are hoping that when they look in on themselves, they find something to be sure of. And John is writing this, and these are his words. Yes, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because the consequences are massive. But this is God's word to you, Christian. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may 
know that you have eternal life. The desire of God is to not just show you that Jesus' work is a sure thing, but to show you that it is a steadfast thing that is greater even than your recurring sin and turning from Him. The, a, a good way to think of this is an EKG. How many of you guys have ever been hooked up to an EKG? Someone with all the... Pl- okay, good. Okay, good. So this works out. Or bad. I'm sorry. Whatever. Good. Everybody's got, got their hearts getting checked out. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm happy. Okay. So I'm glad because it will help with illustrations point. This is what we do wrong as Christians. We say, I want to know that I am a Christian because hell sounds like a pretty horrible place. And we can get there real quick in our heads since we were seven or eight years old. I don't want that. I want the good place, not the bad place. I want to be sure. But then what happens is we go to the doctor. We go to the doctor of God's word and we say, I want to know that I'm good. I want to know that I'm healthy. And when we do that, y'all good? Okay. When we do that, what happens is we go through a checklist. And we're like, healthy, 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 healthy. And we leave and then never go back to the doctor again. That's foolishness. That is not smart. If one day you're holding your chest or you have a heart attack and you go in and a doctor's like, we got this, open you up, clear the blockage, send you out. And then you go for your post-op visit and you're carrying a Five Guys cheeseburger that's dripping. The doctor's going to want to slap you. I just went to all the trouble in the world to clear the blockage in your heart. And you have the audacity to walk in here with a double stack cheeseburger that is dripping grease. What is your problem? That's what happens when we're like, am I a Christian? Read the word, have this camp experience, mark it off and move on. The better way to understand God's word is like a perpetual EKG machine. All these probes are placed on you. And while they're placed on you, they are giving constant feedback. Every time you inhale and your heart rate goes up, a different feedback. Every time you exhale, when you get stressed out about something, this, that, or the other, the EKG reports it. And John gives us an EKG. When you look at these verses, you see words like testify, evidence, confidence, belief, we know. And every one of those things is a little probe. And the EKG looks something like this. A true Christian, I'm going to give you four things. A true Christian believes in Jesus. All of these uh, scriptures I'm about to give you come from 1 John, so I'm not going to just repeat myself. A true Christian, probe number one, believes in Jesus. 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If we confess, whoever believes in Jesus, John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. The second EKG probe goes on. It is someone, a true Christian, loves other Christians. 2.10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 3.10. By this it is evident, evidence, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let me pause here. Christians should love all people. But if we should love all people, we should definitely love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't make sense for you to love a stranger more than somebody that you are in this room with, that you are on the same team as. A true Christian loves other Christians. 3.14. We know that we have passed out of life into death because we love the brothers. doesn't get much simpler than that. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Thirdly, third probe goes on. How's it reading for you? A true Christian wants to obey God. You'll notice I'm not putting always obeys God. A true Christian does not always obey God. They want to. They, they want to be on God's side, not on sin's side when everything goes down. Two, three. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this We may know. Are are y'all picking up on all of this assurance that God wants you to have? All of this sureness, all of this steadfastness. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. Finally, the last probe goes on. We agree with the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived a perfect life that I couldn't. Jesus gave a perfect death that I should have. And when we agree with that truth, it is another probe that displays that we're truly a Christian. 324, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 413, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Does your life look different than it did before you came to Christ? It should. We should bear fruit. It doesn't mean. Sadly, it doesn't mean that we become sanctified and like Jesus as quickly as we would like to. I get that and we've got to own that. But the question is, when you look back over your shoulder, are you moving in the direction of faithfulness and trusting God? Those four things are little probes that John puts on our chest and says... I want you to be sure. Are you sure? And if you are, I've got some really great news for you. If you're not, I've got some really great news for you. And and what I would say is this. We love playing the maybe game. I loved what you said. As a good millennial, I'll be reading from my phone. Whenever Facebook put that stupid little maybe button in between yes and no, we all became morons. Okay? Let me not say all. Some of you are like, I'm above social media, and I'm okay with that. I'm proud of you. Way to go. I wish I was above it too, all right? But as soon as that little culturally accepted, maybe I'll be there, maybe something else is going to come up, I don't really want to commit to anything right now, because if I commit to that, I could miss out on this, which I don't even know is in the realm of existence yet, okay? As soon as maybe came up, we all look at it, and we're like, Maybe, right? Like, why am I going to commit to this thing? And yet, what is it that Christ calls us to? Commitment. And so what I would say is, when you look at these four things, if you're on yes, praise God. If you're on no, I'm about to give you some really good news. If you're on maybe, go towards no. And the reason I'm saying that is, simply put, there's just way too much at stake. There's way too much at stake for maybe fence riding to be the assurance you have when God is saying, I want you to be sure of something. I want you to be sure of something that is steadfast. Lean towards no. And if you're leaning towards no, it's as simple as asking the question, 
when the bar comes down in life and you go into the darkly lit, spark-spewing, haunted house, what is your assurance in? Is your assurance in something you can provide? Because if the answer is yes, let me, let me just explain. You are as capable of paying that debt. You are as capable of coming into eternal life on your own as you were coming into this life on your own. I don't know how many decisions you made to be born on your birthday. I don't know how much work you felt like you put into that decision, but I'm willing to bet it was very little. We are just here. We had nothing to do with it. And the good news of the gospel is there is nothing you have to earn or do. All you have to do is hear, I know I have a debt. Praise God for telling me that truth. And there's this guy who lived a perfect life and he gave his life perfectly so that all I have to do is say, I want his payment applied to me. Would you forgive me of my sin and my debt and apply that blood, that water to my own soul so that my testimony, my story, my bearing of a witness would not be to what I have done, but what someone has done on my behalf. It's as simple as picking up a check that has already been written to an insurmountable amount for the sin you have committed, are committing, and will commit, signed by Christ with an ink with a pen filled by his own blood. It is sure and it is steadfast. And if you say yes to those things, praise God. You should be excited. And that's how John writes. In fact, that's how he moves into verse six, uh, into verse, uh, wait, hang on, I lost my spot. Verse 14. And this, if these things are true of you, if you know that you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, if you see these evidences of grace in your life, verse 14, this is the confidence we have toward God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. He looks and he says, pray, pray what my will is. And and look, here's the thing. On Wednesday this week, I go into a meeting with the county. And I'm meeting with the county because we're trying to figure out there, there are coding issues with us meeting here. That's not news to any of the members here today. We're, we're unable to use our, our, our kids' building, so I went and told all the leaders, enjoy earning higher levels of heaven than any of us are going to as you're dealing with that while we're figuring it out. I, I mean this. I know that it is God's will for us to have a church. I know it because he's shown me evidence after evidence after evidence. I don't know how the whole thing's going to shake out. The gate has come down on my lap, and I am in a haunted house, and sparks are flying everywhere, but I'm not fearful. And I'm not fearful because I know that God is sure. And not only is he sure, he is steadfast. And if he is sure and if he is steadfast, I may as well enjoy the ride. And that's what I told the leaders. I I texted the guys. I was like, here's the deal. These years, these months, members of Midtree are probably going to fill up a fair amount of the stories that you tell people about your faith and your growth and seeing God act. Why not have a great story to tell? 
Why not go into the darkness of the haunted house that looks like it's going to burn down around you so that God can show how sure and how steadfast he is. And when you pop out the other side and you wipe the sweat from your brow and you look around and say, my kids made it too, then you can say, praise God, let me tell you a story. Let me get on the stand and witness to the evidence that I have seen of God. When he calls us in his word to pray things according to his will, When I pray that God gives me opportunities to evangelize, you know what happens magically? I find opportunities to evangelize. I know that's according to his will. If that feels like a bigger step than you're ready to take, pray that God would give you opportunities to encourage people around you. That's one of the things that we see going into this last little bit of scripture. In verse 17, let me say, I'm sorry, I'm losing my place. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. If you see somebody committing sin, but they're repentant of that sin, you know that they're a believer. It is not going to lead ultimately to death. The EKG is on. They're stumbling just like all of us stumbling. Go and encourage them. He goes on and he says, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to That leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. What he's saying is, if somebody's in unrepentant sin, don't pray that everything turns out great in that moment. Pray instead that they would repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Because what would be greater? Their circumstances getting better or their eternal security being sure? And John says, pray for the eternal security. It's more important. It lasts significantly longer. Verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What is he saying? He's saying when your assurance is sure, stop looking down, look out. Here's one of the things I think we do so poorly as believers. I don't mean our church, I mean our culture. I spend so much time and energy convincing myself that I'm good enough, convincing myself that I'm saved enough, convincing myself that I'm doing enough, going back to last week, all of this earning kind of stuff. When if I would take that energy, those seven times a day, I'm reminding myself, okay, you're in the faith and you're in the faith. And because of this and this, what if I took those seven times and I talked to seven different people? And I said, Joe, I'm so pumped that you're going to China. Shay, I'm so proud of you for getting up here and leading worship. Andrew, I'm I'm so glad that you were faithful away and that you're faithful being back here. Impact students, I am so encouraged by the way that you have given these 9 to 12 months. And I pray that God blows you away with what he has for your future. What if instead of me turning it inward, I turn all of that outward and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? I I coached, past tense, a three and four year old soccer team. Yes, we were undefeated. I know that, Carly, yes, very good, you were on it. Um. Or, yeah, yes. You were, no, your little brother was on it. You're on Thad's team. Okay, you were not on it. Y'all were not undefeated. My team was undefeated. (laughs) So, look, look, sometimes you got talent, sometimes you got great coaching. We had a lot of talent. So, when I watch those three and four-year-olds play soccer, here's what happens at the beginning of the season. You got one, two, three kids that are just rock stars. They can dribble, they can shoot, they can do the whole thing. And at three and four, if you can just know to look up occasionally and not play soccer like this, you're a rock star, okay? And we had a few kids. And man, when they would score goals, arms went up in the air. They're cheering. The whole team's excited. You get about halfway through, and guess what they've done a bunch? Score goals. The the lion's share of all the goals that are scored by these two or three all-stars. 
And you realize that the joy begins to diminish. It's not new for them. And then, if you're able, you can convince those kids to pass the ball. And if you do, and they see someone who has never scored a goal before, put one in the back of the net. Not only does that kid who has never scored have more joy than they ever have, but so does the one who passed it to them. The joy of watching someone else's joy exceeds your own joy. And that is what John is calling us to. That is what God is calling us to. What if, instead of treating our faith as an individual sport, what if we found more joy in bringing joy to the people around us? What if instead of the energy being focused on my sureness and my steadfastness, I spent time encouraging you, you spent time encouraging each other, so much so that we were being lit up with encouragement and the ball was being passed and joy was abounding. That is what we are called to. And Jesus shows us this. In Luke 22, he goes to Simon and he says, Simon... Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. He's the accuser. He stands before God. We see this in Revelations. He stands before God day and night saying, he doesn't deserve heaven. He doesn't deserve grace. He doesn't deserve your goodness. And God's listening. And Peter, here's the reality. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve God's goodness. You don't deserve an empty cup. But notice what Jesus prays. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then notice, I'm encouraging you, Peter. I'm praying that your faith won't fail. And when you have turned again, when you have turned from that sin, now I'm encouraging you, Peter, you're going to make it through the haunted house. Here's what I want you to do. Strengthen your brothers. Turn to those around you and encourage them as well. Let me close this with this. Verse 19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is our team, church. Your team is a bunch of Christians who are on the same ride as you. And we're all in the same world, but we're in it together. And this I love, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. If you look in verse 18... It says that he who is born of God protects him just like he did for Peter. We, if trusting in Christ, have a sure salvation. Jesus will never get off track. We have a steadfast salvation. He will hold us firm to that track. And we have a protected salvation. He will not allow the enemy or the darkness of the haunted house to throw us from that ride. So he closes it with that admonition. We who know that the Son of God has come, we may know Him who is true. In His Son Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. And then I love this. John looks and he says, Hey kids, I've just explained a lot about surety and steadfastness and protection. Don't turn to idols. That's how he closes the whole book. Don't go back to the greasy hamburger. Your heart has been cleaned and opened up. Don't go back and this morning as we respond in communion there are a couple of things that we're doing communion is for believers if you're not a believer we just ask that you not partake not because we want you to be left out of anything 
but because this is a meal, this is a reminder for people who have responded to the gospel. If God is doing that in you now, I would love to pray with you. Maybe Jimmy would love to pray with you down in the back. But as we respond to communion, what we're doing is we are testifying that we agree with the Holy Spirit's testimony, the evidence of a perfect life and the evidence of a perfect death given on our behalf for any who would say, God, apply that testimony to me. I'm in the darkness of a haunted house and sparks are flying. I'm locked in. Would you assure me that you will get me to the end? That I will come out into the light and when I look around, others will have arrived safely with me. Let me pray and then we'll respond by taking communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the goodness that we have in Christ. Father, I I pray that as we come to, to the bread and to the cup, that we are reminded of the water and the blood. We are reminded of two things that testify, two evidences. And when we think of your broken body, I pray, God, that we would remember our own brokenness and that you took that brokenness upon yourself. When we think of the evidence of the blood, that we would be reminded that you gave everything that we can know that no matter how deep our sin is, no matter how far-reaching it is, it cannot outrun the fount of your blood to heal it. So draw us near to you as we draw near to one another, celebrating the goodness of a risen Savior, a sure, steadfast, protected salvation for all who put their trust in Christ. Amen. Congregation, what we'll do uh, we, we've switched sanctuary a little bit, so there's going to be um, elements up at the front on these corners and in the back. If you would stand up and go to them and then enter back through the center. So you'll, you'll come in through the, the aisle there and there. And then if you're in the middle, you'll go back through the middle. If you're on the outside, you'll go back out through the wings. We'll take the bread together. When Jesus says, this was my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take that individually as you pray and see fit, but hold on to the cup so that we can take it with the team that God has given us. Amen. Let's respond.